Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm coming to you live on delay on a wonderful Saturday morning. This is our special Back to Jerusalem podcast where you can call in live. Feel free if you have any questions. I think that we have made a lot of enemies in the last week, to be honest. I don't know if you've been watching our social media page or not, but... We've had a lot of individuals, people that have sent me a lot of personal messages, even family members who are not very happy with the way that we have been comparing and sharing about what is taking place around the world and what we have learned in China with the the, the rise of, or even the embracement of what it seems to be like communism and socialism uh, in the last couple months. Uh, we want to welcome you to this live podcast. You can listen to us if you're listening to this on our regular podcast and you've just downloaded it and it's not live and you're listening on delay. Uh, you can listen to us live every Saturday morning at least while I'm here in Sweden and not traveling around the world and doing what I usually do during this coronavirus. It has made me stay in one stationary location, which I have absolutely loved. I know a lot of people thought that <laughs> they thought that I would go insane because I spend more than 300 days traveling per year, but I've actually found myself uh, in one location doing a lot of things that I feel that God has wanted me to do for a while. I've done a lot of writing. Uh, if you have not gone to our Back to Jerusalem website, you'll see that we have a new news article that goes up every single day. That is something that we've wanted to do for a long while, uh, is to share about the things that are happening in the 1040 window that concern you as our partner. So if you're listening to this podcast, you've downloaded this podcast, or you've gone to our website and you've found more information about us, I want to let you know that Every single day we are putting up new articles. That, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to say this that's not mean or puts anyone else down because everybody that's on the field, it, everything that everybody does is worthwhile. But I just want to say that the news articles that are put out by Back to Jerusalem are a little bit different than what you'll find in most on most ministry pages that deal with missions. And the reason why is because we believe at Back to Jerusalem that missions is much bigger than just the activity that is taking place on the ground. We believe that history, we believe that economics, we believe that politics, we believe that uh, social development, uh, all of these aspects tie into missions. And we believe being on the mission field gives us a unique perspective on what is happening around the world. And you may not be getting a lot of that information. I mean, let's be honest. There are things that we are sharing on backtojerusalem.com that you're not going to find on almost any other news source out there. 
One of the reasons why is because we're on the ground. We're on the ground in the area between China and Jerusalem, and we're seeing things on a regular basis that you're probably not going to hear about on the 6 o'clock news on any of the big alphabet soup news organizations, BBC, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, all of the different news organizations that are that are basically provide the majority of uh, information that the world consumes skips over, I believe, some of the biggest stories of our day. And those biggest stories have to do with missions. And so a lot of people that tune in and listen to Back to Jerusalem and download our podcast do so because they are looking for that unique perspective on the ground. And they, we, we share a lot of information about you know Bible printing, Bible smuggling. We print information about uh, Back to Jerusalem missionary training, missionary training in general. We talk about different projects, especially as it relates to humanitarian projects. And, and that really goes for uh, the time when you see natural disasters. So whenever there is a tsunami, earthquake, whenever you see floods or... Uh, big natural disasters in the area between China and Jerusalem, you can bet that we're probably there on the ground providing materials on, on the front lines, helping people that need to be helped. And we are so appreciative of people that have been supporting us in doing that. The biggest support that we get on a regular basis, this has been growing now for a couple of years, and I've been so very, very thankful comes from our gatekeepers. If you are not a gatekeeper, can I ask that you seriously pray and, and see if this is a way that you can join the mission of Back to Jerusalem and support the Underground House Church of China as they go into areas that are closed to the rest of the world. Gatekeepers are monthly donors that make it possible for us to do what we do. We do a lot of different things that you don't see really taking place. With Let me just share really quick before we jump in to the subject for today. By the way, at any time, if you have a question, uh, this is the time. This is the podcast where you can call in if you're listening live. If you've downloaded this podcast from our podcast site, unfortunately, uh, there's probably not going to be anybody there to answer the phone. But if you want to talk with us live, you can call us at one 7753487756. That is a U.S. number. It's going to be, you know, available for people in the U.S. and Canada. You can call us on that number from other countries. Other people have. Um, we've gotten calls from around the world on this number during our live po podcast. But unfortunately, we had to choose a country where we have the majority of our listeners. And the majority of our listeners, um, not by percentage, by percentage, we have seen the majority of our listeners are in other nations. But numerically, the, the majority of our listeners are in America. And that number, again, you can, if you're watching live, you can find us at backtojerusalem.com forward slash live. At backtojerusalem.com forward slash live, you'll see that we have our um, video playing. It's just the audio. You're not going to really be able to see anything, but we have this hooked up to, to YouTube for the moment, but we plan to be using other platforms in the future. But you can call us live at 1-703-348-7756. And we would love, absolutely love to hear from you. 
especially if you are a gatekeeper. If you've been a gatekeeper and you've been supporting Back to Jerusalem, you've been praying for Back to Jerusalem, you've been partnering with Back to Jerusalem, we would love to hear from you. Because a lot of the things that we do, we're able to support them because of what you do. Let me just share a couple of ways that your funding is being used if you donate to Back to Jerusalem or if you're a monthly gatekeeper. What makes us a little bit different is we operate like the underground house church. We're based out of China. I live in China. That's where my home is. I'm not there at the moment, but my home is in China. I've lived there for the last 20 years. So unlike many other organizations around the world that you might be familiar with, they're often, not always, but often based in the West, meaning that they have a headquarters in the West, whether it's in Europe or Australia or America, North America. Uh, They have a base in the West, and then their outreach takes place in other countries. So they have partners and other nations, but their main base is in the West. And their main operations might take place in other countries, but their main base is in the West. We work together with the Underground House Church, and we're based together with the Underground House Church. Now, what's our mailing address? Depends on which country you're living in. Only our supporting offices have mailing addresses. We do not have any mailing address, postal code, on location inside of China. And the reason is for security. So we don't have an address to advertise for the, P, the, the, the uh, CCP, the, uh, communist, the Chinese Communist Party. We don't have a special address to advertise for them to say, hey, come and get us. This is our address. So we operate like the Underground House Church where we are um, broken up into different cells throughout the entire country. So we have several offices throughout China with representatives that work together for Back to Jerusalem to carry out our different projects. Now I'll get to our different projects here in a minute because this is important. As a donor, you need to understand this because unlike other organizations that I also work together with, so I'm not saying that if you're supporting another organization that does this, it's wrong. No, I'm just saying that what we're doing is different. And like the Chinese, we don't have a permanent structure as our main headquarters. That means that we do not have an office that we have to pay overhead for every single month. And we praise God for that. In the U.S., we have a little shed that is outside one of our office manager's home. And then we also partner together with a distribution factory inside of the United States where we're able to store all of our books. So if you ever order a book from us, it's probably coming from that distribution location. We have a a location that allows us to store our things there and meet there if we need to. What is great about that is that we don't have the overhead of electricity, internet, water, rent, property tax, mortgage. We don't have any of that. Groundskeeper, uh, upkeep, all of those expenses are gone. That goes for our Canadian office. That goes for our U.S. office. That goes for our U.K. office. That goes for our Netherlands office. That goes for our um, brand new. We haven't started. We're, we're in the middle of starting it. It's going a little bit slower than what we would like, but our South Korean office as well as our Brazilian office. In each one of those locations where we have partners, we do not have a building that requires us to pay rent or overhead of any kind. That is 
that allows us to send the most amount of funding to the field. That allows us to send. So I think our audit for the last uh, year that we did in the United States was something like our, our overhead inside of the country was 1%. So that means the majority of funds that you send to support back to Jerusalem, whether you're supporting us in the UK, whether you're supporting us in the US, whether you're supporting us in Europe, those funds go to the field to support the back to Jerusalem activities taking place. It doesn't go into buildings. It doesn't go into overhead of that nature. Now, what does it go for? We do a lot of research and development on new tools that are being used on the field. So, for instance, our pill-size hologram Bible. That was supported by you if you are listening as a gatekeeper. And we want to thank you for your support. That took us a, you know, a couple years. took us a minute to make that. But we were able to get it up and going, and it's a small little pill-sized Bible. You can find out information on our website, or you can go to YouTube and just put in um, Back to Jerusalem pill-sized Bible or pill-sized hologram Bible, and you'll see our YouTube clip there where we tell you about how it works. It's basically a small little pill-sized device that you put in your hand. It illuminates the air in front of your face and you're able to read from Genesis to Revelation. The entire Bible is on a small little pill-sized Bible. It doesn't need to be plugged in. You don't need to change the batteries. You don't need to charge it. It has enough battery power to last for about a year and a half. It charges itself. I can't tell you how, but it charges itself. And if you need to, you can easily just swallow it for security purposes. And this is one of the big things that um, we have been doing with our pill-sized Bible. Now, somebody just wrote, and uh, their name is Ted. And uh, Ted, if you're still listening to this podcast and you, you've just sent in a message, if you're still listening to this, I would love to know where you're writing from. Uh, thank you for the question. Somebody has written in, so you can call in the question if you would like to. Anybody listening to this podcast, if you would like to call in at 1-703-348-7756, now's your chance. You can call in and we will take your phone call live. If you, if you're, if you would rather just write up, maybe you're, maybe you're at work and you're listening and you're not allowed to make personal calls where you're at work. That happens a lot with Back to Jerusalem, uh, especially when we have meetings and stuff. We have individuals that volunteer and help us. And so they will write in questions and comments and concerns and things of that nature. So Ted wrote in and said, um, hey, are you helping in with the Wiggers. Are you reaching out? The Wiggers, for those of you that don't know, the Wiggers are a minority group in Western China. They are primarily Muslim. And Ted's question comes in from Texas. Texas, uh, Ted, thank you so much for your question. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, let me tell you, let me give you just a really quick um, kind of plug for our next podcast that will be posted this week. I thought it would be posted already, or it would be posted next week. I thought it would already be posted this week because we recorded it this week, maybe at the end of last week, uh, sometime. Yeah, last week, sorry. So last week, I think I, uh, I think it was either Saturday or Sunday. I had an amazing podcast with a wigger. Um, Ted, you're going to love it. If you're interested in what's taking place in, in Xinjiang province, 
uh, you are absolutely going to love that podcast. It's about a 40-minute to an hour-long podcast together with a wigger. Uh, Wiggers are a people group that live in Western China. Uh, most people don't know, but there's there basically Western China is made up mainly of Muslims. All the northwestern part of China, uh, southwest are Muslim are Buddhists. That belongs to the Buddhists. Uh, Xining is a city where those two worlds kind of collide. It's where they meet, and then west. So you basically go from Xi'an, the former capital city of Xi'an, and westward. You start hitting those. Muslim frontiers. Ningxia is the first kind of province that you have that is mainly Muslim. And then Xinjiang is where you have most of the Uyghurs. Now, the Uyghurs are a people group that have a different language than the Han Chinese. If you saw most Uyghurs, you would not believe that they are Chinese. There are some Uyghurs that do look Chinese, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of Uyghurs, especially like if they, they shave their face and they do their hair in, in, in a Western style, and then they wear clothes as if they're in a Western style, you would think that they look like Ross from Friends. They don't look like they're Chinese. But they, they have a different language. They have a different culture. They have a different religion. They have a different history. They have a different background. Uh, so mainly the Uyghurs are in this area that used to be referred to, and some people still do refer to it as Eastern Turkestan. And they share a language, culture, history that is more similar to those of the stands. Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, that region. And it is an area that has been fighting for dependence, uh, independence for a while. What a lot of people don't know is that there are well over a million people estimate. I mean, most people don't really know. There's several hundred thousand. Most people estimate that there are more than a million people that are in prison in Western China. Now, Ted, just to answer your question really quick, are we doing work in Western China? Yes, we are. And I'm going to tell you how. One of the things that we have been doing is we've been focusing on the language, the Kazakh language, the Hui language, and uh, the Han language that are mainly spoken in Western China. China. And about three or four years ago, we started a, a project that was a pretty, uh, let, me, let me go back a little bit further than even three or four years ago to tell you how we got to where we're at now. This is a big project that we started doing with the Wiggers and focusing on the Wiggers. We basically, what we did is we, we looked at the 10 most unreached tribes in all of China. And we focused on the top 15 unreached cities in all of China, which are Western China. And so that took us to places like Urumqi. That took us to places like Kashgar and Xinjiang province, which are capitals for the Uyghur people. And I had been working for, I've been working for many years together with Joyce Meyer and mainly her son who runs all of their programs. Now, you may not know this by reading our website or any of the news articles that we put out because we don't talk about this. This I'm only going to share about this during this time in this podcast, this live podcast. So we have done many projects together with Joyce Meyer. We run all of their projects for China, but we've also done a lot of projects together in other places like Iran and North Korea. Um, and her son, 
David is one of the main people. He's, he is the main person who runs all of the international projects. So I remember one day sitting together with David and we were talking about like, what are we going to do for the future of China? And I said, you know, David, I, I mean, we can print more books. We can, we can print more Bibles, but let's do something that impacts history. Let's do something that scares us. Let's do something that almost can't be done. Let's do something that can't be done in the natural, but can only be done with God's help. So David said, all right, I'm all ears. What is it? And so I I laid out a map and I said, this is China. And when I talk about the revivals of China, I'm often talking, mostly talking about Eastern China. So if you're an American and you're listening to this, I'm basically talking about from the Mississippi River to the East Coast of China. So when you're looking at the areas where the revivals have basically taken place, you're talking about uh, Hunan province, Shandong province, uh, Anhui province, Guangdong province. This is like middle China eastward, and it's all Han people. But there's an entire part of China that is basically unreached where we have most of the people groups that make up China have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ even one time. When I talk about the million people a month that are coming to Christ, they're primarily in the eastern part of China. That is not the western part of China. Let's focus on the western part of China. Let's focus on those top 10 languages where people do not even have a Bible in their language. Let's focus on the top 10 languages where people do not even have a testimony among their people group. Let's focus on the top 10 people groups where their language has no teachings, no tracts, and the Bible has not been written in the entirety in their language. Let's do recordings, put them on uh, small little uh, media devices, and distribute those out by the millions. So David's like, I love this. Let's, let's bring this to my mom. So I went into the office together with Joyce Meyer and we were sitting at a table and I said, you know what? I really feel that this is one of those projects because I mean, we can do things kind of truck along, barely surviving like everybody else does every single day, or we can take the battle to the enemy. We can go into the deepest, darkest areas and share the gospel of Jesus Christ into the regions that have never heard it by the millions. And let's do something that when we are 80 years old and sitting on rocking chairs on our front porches, we will remember this day. And Joyce Meyer said, I'm almost 80. So I don't know what you're talking about, retired and on rocking chairs. And I was like, oops, and I pulled back. But they started supporting a project where we, we were delivering the, the, these uh, uh, media devices. So what we did was we put together these evangelical uh, messages, 24 straight hours of video teaching, uh, books, uh, all kinds of stuff. We put these on these little media devices that can be used with your TV, your computer, your mobile phone, whatever. These little media devices you could basically put into your pocket and take them anywhere. And we've been delivering those for the last three years into Xinjiang province. 
and reaching out and ministering to the Wiggers. Now, Ted, if you're still on here, I hope you are, because this coming week, I'm going to be putting on a podcast that blew my mind. I think it will yours as well. It was an area. Now, listen, I've been living and working in China for the last 20 years, and I'm going to be honest with you. The subject that I tackled during that podcast with this Wigger was something I have never heard before. Now, I started doing research into China's, um, the, the Chinese uh, organ harvesting scheme, I guess if you want to call it that. China, China right now, most people believe that China harvests, sells, and uses, does transplants with more organs than any other country in the world. Now, that's arguable, but that's, that's what I'm looking at. Now, what I did is I did a live podcast with a Uyghur from Xinjiang who told me a story about how, because he's a, he's, he was a surgeon in Yurimchi, one of the top hospitals. He was in charge of his department. And one day, a government official comes to him and says, would you like to help us? We need your help. And so he thought, hey, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping. They said, we need you to put together a team of people that you trust to come with us and do an organ transplant. And this doctor said, yeah. Now, you're going to hear this directly from his lips. And I would rather you hear the story from him because it's, I sometimes get the story wrong. But basically, the very next day, he puts his team together and they're taken away in a van, government van. It's a kind of like an ambulance, but if you've ever been to China, basically they have what's called mian bao cha. And a mian bao cha is a car or a van that looks like a loaf of bread. On the inside, you, don't, you might have a bed, but you don't have any of the fancy gear that you have in Western ambulances. So he is taken to an execution site for prisoners where prisoners are lined up and just shot over and over and over. People Right now, China executes more people per year than all the other countries in the world combined. And they do it without real... Uh, court proceedings. It's basically a Mickey Mouse court. You go in, you're condemned officially, and then you're executed. You don't have anything to say. You don't have real lawyers. You don't have a real defense. So prisoners, these are Uyghurs, were brought in and executed. He tells a story. The surgeon tells a story how one of the guys was executed but wasn't fully executed. He was shot on the right side of his chest so that he would die, but not right away. And so this executed individual who was left to live was handed over to this doctor and he and his team removed organs from their body and the doctor told me they were still alive. Those, those organs were then taken out and then transplanted into another patient that paid for them and needed them. The doctor then blows the lid off of an operation 
that I'm not going to go into detail. If you want to know more, you're going to have to listen to that podcast. But he blows the lid off an operation where the most organ transplants take place at a facility inside of China that is halal. And the reason it's halal is because of Xinjiang. All of those prisoners that have been taken into prison in Xinjiang province, those Uyghurs, many of them are unaccounted for. And they end up dead and their organs are sold to wealthy Middle Easterners who come into China looking for organs. And they get halal organs, which means that your organs came from another Muslim. So they're clean. You know, Muslims will not eat food that is not halal. They will not. I, I have really good Muslim friends that come over to my house and we have meals together and I have halal dishes. So when I lived, for instance, I used to live in the city of Kunming. When I lived in Kunming, I had halal dishes that was specifically for individuals that would come and visit me at my home and I would serve them on dishes that were halal, that were clean, that there had been no unclean uh, meats or fish or, or seafood touch that dish so that they could eat in confidence knowing that it was halal. He blows the lid off of it. So yes, we are working in Xinjiang together with the Uyghurs. So um, hopefully that answers your, your question, Ted. Um, I w- this, for this podcast, I want to dive in deep for North Korea. Because there is a slave trade that is taking place inside of North Korea. But before I do that, I have a call that I have pressed that I'm going to make. Uh, it is to our good friend, Lindsay, in the UK. You've ne- She's never been on our podcast before. I'm just going to give her a quick ring. I'm calling her right now. Um, please, she answers. Hello. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Really good. How are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can. Mine coming through clear. You're coming in crystal clear. It's a little bit of jerk, but I think that that is to be uh, expected because it's a little bit later. It's for even though this is our Saturday morning podcast in the U.S., um, I'm doing this in the late afternoon in Sweden, and uh, I live in a really rural area. Uh, the estimate for the nearest village is 95 people. So uh, we, we're all sharing the same internet connection, I think. And so uh, <laughs> at around this time in the evening, the bandwidth gets pretty tight. And so it's not easy for me to do a live podcast. But anyway, welcome to the Back to <laughs> Jerusalem podcast. We're so glad that you are on together with us. Uh, I think this is the first time that I've ever had you on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, that's true. It's my first time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the reason I, I wanted you to come on and join us really quick is because you have joined us with our dingdash.com. A lot of people, even people listening to this podcast, may not know anything about dingdash. And I would love for them to hear about dingdash from somebody other than me. <laughs> so, uh, for those that have never heard about dingdash, could you just share a little bit about it? Yeah, of course. I mean, going right down to basics, it is a new social media. Uh, platform but with so many benefits um particularly being obviously that it's a christian based social media platform i think we're finding a lot today that there's a lot of freedom of speech uh, for everybody except christians when it comes to social media 
uh, social media is clamping down on the things that we want to say. So Ding Dash is a place for Christians to come uh, without discrimination. They can share their thoughts. They can um, ask for prayer requests. Oh, you know what, Eugene? They can just talk about the family and the day um, and just enjoy communicating and getting in touch, reaching out to people from different nations that all follow uh, the one true amazing God that we, we do. Um, I think another benefit of it also is there is there's no marketing on there. So you're not bombarded with, you know, advertisements that, you know, something that you once looked at in your search history on the internet five years ago. There's none of that on there. It's just purely um, just people talking, getting to know each other. And it, it's great. It, it really is a great platform. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something that I, I started to understand a little bit more of a couple years ago. When I, around this same time of the year, um, I was in the mountains of Tennessee together with my, my uh, baby sisters and their families. And my brother-in-law was hanging out with me and, and uh, he had a friend that had bought a rental property in this area of Tennessee that we were in. And I often rent from this area of Tennessee. So I asked him, or he asked me rather, can you come and, and share with me about you know what you're looking for in rental properties because I want to set that up for my rental property. And I said, sure, no problem. So we started talking. I was there with my brother-in-law and it's just us three guys and we're talking and we all got our phones out as well. And, we're, and one of the things that my, my brother-in-law, Kyle, said, he said, um, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about the cabin that we're staying in right now is that it has an outdoor griddle. Now, what that does is that allows me to go outside and I cooked breakfast. I did pancakes. I did eggs, bacon, everything nice. else, you know, on this outside griddle. And it kept me from getting grease all over the kitchen. Now, I enjoy yeah. cooking outside. So I did that. As the owner of the house, they probably enjoyed the fact that I'm not getting grease all over this rental property. <laughs> as yeah. soon as that guy left, he walked out the door. Five minutes later, he pulled back in. He said, guys, I got to show this to you. And he showed me his phone on Facebook and it showed that he was being advertised on Facebook an outdoor gas powered griddle. No. So that, no. that, that conference, so people might say, okay, well that just was a coincidence. They weren't, Facebook was not really listening to your conversation. Now it gets even spookier, right? Um, and because you only notice on things that are really strange, like things that are really yeah. odd that are, I mean, if you're talking about tennis shoes and you see shoes pop up on your feed, you don't really think about it. If you're talking yeah, about yeah. food and you get an advertisement for food pop up on your feed, again, you don't really think about it. But I was, yeah. I was laying in bed with my wife and we were talking and I had the laptop, you know, on my belly and I was writing some things <laughs> as we were talking and it was our, it was our son, you know, was, had just finished his first year of university and we hadn't seen him, you know, he was going, he's, he's, he goes to university in the United States and we were living in, in Hong Kong. So we weren't, we weren't able to oh, see wow. him. And so we flew to the U S and we spent the day with him and it was, it was magical. And, oh, um, we were laying there in bed and we were kind of reminiscing about the days events. And I, and I looked over at my wife and I said, doesn't it seem that our son is taller? I mean, he just seems so tall today. It almost seemed as if he had something in his shoes. And my wife was like, yeah, it does seem that way. Like, you know, he, because he's going to a military college and he's training to be a military officer. And so he just seems so tall and straight and, you know, in, in his stance. And then yeah. I went back to work and I looked at my Facebook page and I said, honey, 
And I was like, look at this. And on my Facebook feed was an advertisement for inserts that you can put in your shoes that make you taller. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So in your your most (laughs) private times, you're being listened to. Your data is being sold. And there is a guy that I shared about uh, that I think is really important for our listeners. If you're listening to this podcast, let me encourage you. Go onto YouTube and do a search for a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Epstein. Dr. Mm-hmm. Robert Epstein is a behavioralist, psychologist, and he did a testimony before Congress last year. Now, this guy talked about how Google, Facebook, and social media are changing votes by listening to how you communicate, by then bombarding you with little advertisements that you're not even aware of to make you vote towards a certain slant. Now, this guy, Robert Epstein, voted for Hillary Clinton. He is a left-leaning centrist, according to his own testimony. But he said that he was working for a company that was trying to get people to vote for Hillary. He said at least 2.6 million voters swung their vote because of Google doing special alerts targeting towards people that they knew would vote for Hillary Clinton. So the reason I bring that up is because if you as a Christian feel like your voice is being squelched, you're probably not wrong. Now, you know, I gave you... I gave you marketing examples. I gave you political examples. But there are religious examples as well. Do you know that last year, anybody that was quoting from Mother Teresa, when she said that uh, she she gave a quote about abortion and said that if a mother is willing to kill her own child, there's nothing more for society to redeem itself. And that quote by her was blocked by Facebook and Twitter. And so when you start looking at religious, as Christians, we value life. We Mm -hmm. value all life. All lives Mm -hmm. matter. Uh, Babies that are in the womb, their lives matter to us. And so it's, you know, it's one of the things that we try to share as love. I mean, we see it in China. Mm -hmm. We have forced abortions across the board. So it's a big deal for us in China because uh, there you have mothers fighting to keep their babies that are forced to have abortions because of population control. And so this is a big deal for us. And so one of the things that, one of the reasons why we started dingdash.com is to provide a platform where your information is not being sold. You are not being marketed to or targeted for political reasons, for economic reasons, uh, even for religious reasons. Of course, we have Christians on there and you're going to hear from Christians, especially from persecuted Christians, but you are free. To dis, I, I get people on dingdash.com disagreeing with my post, coming at me yeah. full force against me for you know things that I've done in my post, as they should. There are things that I've done that are that are pretty sketchy. <laughs> I agree. I will admit it. <laughs> I had a podcast with a fellow pastor that cussed like a sailor. Every other word it was just like bam, 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 bam. And it wasn't me, but the guy was, he, he was interesting to listen to. And I told the, the person that attacked me that, you know, for me, I wanted truth no matter what package it came in. Yeah. I was more for the content and less for the packaging, but she would not let me off. I'm assuming it's a she, but she would not let me off. And it's like, nope. And she quoted the Bible and she came after me 
and that's what Ding Dash is about. <laughs> I did. Yeah, did I have the desire to delete her? Yes, <laughs> but obviously, yeah. But we have. We want people to feel free. We want people to have those questions. We want people to have those conversations. We want you to feel open to share things that other Christians feel uncomfortable with. We want you yeah. to be uh, open because we believe that the truth is like a lion. You don't need to protect it. You don't need to yeah, provide absolutely. certain guidelines to make sure that it's you know protected. And so you that's why we're so glad that people like you have come on board helping us take the reins and sharing about dingdash.com with people all around the world. Now you are now the communications director for dingdash.com. How can that's people right, get in yeah. contact with you? Um, so I'm on Ding Dash. So I would say th- the best way to go is to get yourself on there, um, create a profile, and ju- just speak to me on there. Um, or you can reach me uh, by email, and that email is going to be uh, dingdash at back to Jerusalem. Um, but I-, I would definitely say just it, it costs nothing. Get on there, sign up, and just have a look through it. Like what you've been saying, Eugene, about you know people disagreeing on Ding Dash. The joy of it is is that you can say what you want and you can choose to not read what you don't want to read. That we are not, as a social media platform, telling you what you can read and what you can't read. You can go in there and you can take from it what you want to take from it and put on there what you want to put on there. So just sign up, have a look, have a look around. It's not for you, it's not for you, but get in touch with us via Ding Dash. There's, There's a whole team of us on there that if you've got prayer requests, we want to support you in prayer. Um, just get on there, sign up. Yeah, one of the things that is, I think, really important for people to understand also about this platform is that uh, you have the right to disappear. If you delete your account, if you put up pictures and information and you decide later that this is not an account for you, you can delete it Mm -hmm. and we save nothing. So we, we, we have none of your data. We don't save any of your data. We don't sell any of your data. Uh, we don't collect any of your data. We will collect information for ourselves about how you're using it. How can we make it better for you? And, yeah. um, and that's very generic. We just have fellow believers that are monitoring and saying, okay, this can be better if we, you know, we move this button over here or if we had this feature here, um, this person here, one of the users brought up a really good, you know, how are people interacting? Those are the kind of things that we are gathering, but we have no information saved on you at all mm-hmm. if you are on Ding Dash. And if you decide to delete your account, poof, mm-hmm. you're gone. Yeah, that's it. I think that's really important, Eugene, because you, you find that you get a lot of marketing emails and there's an option there to unsubscribe. And you think that when you've unsubscribed, that that's it, your communication with them is gone and you've got all your information back. You can unsubscribe from these things, but they've still got your data. They're still going to share it and sell it on. And that's something that is so foundationally important to Ding Dash. That is not what we're here for. We're not here to use and abuse and start people's private uh, information at all. It, it's it's very safe. It's completely safe. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm when you said that, I was just thinking of my art enemy, LinkedIn. I've never been attacked <laughs> so much. Of my, I've never signed up for LinkedIn. I've never made an account with LinkedIn. I never will make an account with LinkedIn because I've gotten so many emails from LinkedIn. I'm like, how did you even get my information? 
Uh, yeah. They, I mean, they do not let up. So if they do that before I sign on, God help me if I ever do sign on <laughs> and they get you know more information from me. But there's another aspect to this that I think that I just want to share with our audience that is listening to this podcast. And that is at dingdash.com. It is a way for those that live in closed countries to communicate and use social media features for ministry. Now, if you live in places like China, if you live in places like Iran, if you live in in places like Yemen, you cannot get on Facebook. You cannot get on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You cannot get on Instagram or any of the so, those social media sites. You can't, you know, uh, YouTube is blocked. Anything with the word blog in it is blocked. Reddit is blocked. So it doesn't matter what platform you like. It's blocked in these different countries, but not DingDash. And if DingDash mm-hmm. is ever blocked in those countries, your uh, login information, everything that you have will stay on DingDash and we will we then create another platform for you to sign into DingDash mm-hmm. and still interact with DingDash even in closed countries. So right now, there is no country that you cannot get onto DingDash. Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, what about you know when countries block all internet? For that, I'm telling yeah. you that we are actually <laughs> developing a way yeah. where people can stay on DingDash in countries that block yeah. internet. You think it's not possible, but it is. Now, I can't give away many details, but I can tell you this. We have our own internet system inside of places like Iran that we're working on that people can sign on to dingdash.com and interact even when Iran blocks everything. (laughs) And we are super excited excited about about this, Eugene. Yes, I am as well. I am as well. So uh, I think anyone that's listening to the podcast that is thinking, do you know what, social media is not my thing. I love Jesus and I love talking to people, but I'm really not into social media. If, if you just focus on this aspect of Ding Dash, you're not able to go overseas on missions. It's something that you're never going to be able to do. Well, through Ding Dash, we're going to be reaching that 1040 window, that, you know, the unreached. And, and you can be ministering to people miles and miles away when you're physically not able to get there. I'm, I'm excited that as a church, we're not just um, networking with local churches, but we are networking with brothers and sisters across the world and supporting them spiritually with prayer and um, other exciting things that we've got in mind and, and in line for Ding Dash that we practically are going to be able to help people from other nations. It's not only a conversational social media platform. It's there's so, so much more to it. So much more. Yeah, and one of the things that um, I have really loved about Ding Dash is that you know it kind of takes social media back to what it used to be, where you know <laughs> yeah. when I first started my Facebook account, Facebook was awesome. Um, yeah. I, when I first started my YouTube account, YouTube was awesome. I didn't feel like I was being bombarded. I mean, they wanted mm-hmm. my involvement. They wanted the involvement of Christians. They wanted. Christians to make content and put that content out there to get more users on board. And Christians responded in force. And so we started pumping out content. We started bringing in our congregations. We started, you know, putting up uh, Facebook live messages. We started putting up meeting groups and 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 uh, separate groups and, and group rooms and chat rooms, you know, for other believers to get on. And it was mm-hmm. great. 
But then somewhere along the line, that freedom that we got used to slowly started to become less and less free. Yeah. And we, we went from sharing content to being bombarded with tailored content specifically to change our views and ideas and to, I dare say, corrupt the teachings of the Bible. And yeah. that has been a, an extreme concern. And I don't think that either you or I are, are advocating that you get rid of your social media accounts. But no, this no. is a place that people can add to their daily agenda and start communicating with people outside of their Facebook content. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we, there's now a gap in social media that, as you say, Christians, we, we have so much opportunity to share, post, and connect with people. And that's just not available anymore. It's just not available through current platforms. So this isn't instead of, this is in addition to. Okay, so I'm listening I mean, I, to this, Lindsay, and I like what I hear. How do I, how do I join on to DingDash? It, it's so straightforward. If you just type in uh, to your browser initially, you can type into your browser at dingdash.com. But more excitingly, um, if you've got both Android or iOS, so if you've got an iPhone, whatever you know system you're using, we now have a DingDash app. Um, and the process to sign in is so straightforward, again, because we don't want so much personal information like your shoe size and your favorite color, et cetera. Um, it, it takes two minutes just to put your email in, email address in, create a password, and you're up and ready to go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, God bless you. Have a, enjoy the rest of your Saturday with your amazing family. <laughs> Will do. Take care. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. So dingdash.com has been, I think, one of those really amazing kind of steps for us in, in, in back to Jerusalem. It has been one of those amazing breakthroughs, something that I never, th I, I never thought. I never, never thought that we would be able to develop a social media site. I mean, hello, Facebook has like, 20,000 people? I, how many people? Do, let me just put that in. Find out exactly how many people does uh, Facebook, how many employees, how many employees does Facebook have? I just want to, because I mean, for <laughs> that is really important because it's one of the reasons why it says, oh, okay, I, I guessed 20,000. It was actually 48,268 as of March 31st. So Facebook has 48,268 full-time employees. Full-time employees. Back to dingdash.com, back to Jerusalem has zero full-time employees working on dingdash.com. We have one amazing person that if he's listening to his podcast or if he's not, you need to give him a shout out. His name is Eric. Eric attended, I met him for the very first time when he came to one of our hackers conferences. And we had a hackers conference where we brought in hackers from all around the world, from all different backgrounds to be able to work with us on different things like the pill size hologram Bible. And so we had a hacker that came in and joined us from Louisiana. His name was uh, Eric. And we had another guy who came and joined us from California. 
And these two guys, and we had another guy as well from Ohio. His name is Benjamin. Benjamin, unfortunately, we he, he worked with us only for a short amount of time. Calvin uh, from California, just an amazing brother. Basically, for the last year or so, it's been Calvin and Eric that's been working on dingdash.com. And they're the reason, they're, they got everything up and running. The two of them, volunteering, part-time. Not 48,000 employees, two volunteers, and then plus Lindsay. So we're just so incredibly thankful for the work that they do, for the things that they are helping us with. It's, it is an incredible, an incredible blessing. And if you have not signed on to dingdash.com, can I encourage you to be a light in somebody's day today? Sign on to dingdash.com, create a profile. Look at the different people that are signing on from Nepal, India, Tibet. Just say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. We got a special brother from um, Nigeria that is on there. A dear pastor friend of mine that has been active on dingdash.com. And with all of the violence that's taking place against Christians in Nigeria, it would be such a blessing to have as many Christians as possible just to go on and let him know there are people praying for him. He regularly updates his status with things from the field there in Nigeria about what's taking place with the, with the uh, genocide that's taking place. Christians are being killed by the hundreds. Uh, I think it's been over 600 since the beginning of this year, number of Christians that have died in Nigeria, it's, it's so heartbreaking. But if you could just sign on to dingdash.com and give people like Pastor Alamid, who's on there now, um, a, a word of encouragement. Say, hey, brother, we're praying for you. We're thinking of you. We're praying for your country. And we're thinking of the country, fellow believers, brothers and sisters that are living and serving in Nigeria that we are standing in the gap for today. That would be a huge blessing. Now, for the final segment of this podcast, I want to jump into North Korea. At this time, we are shutting down our phone lines, so you will not be able to call during this time. I'm just going to shut that off so that I can get into what's taking place. I know that there are people that are interested about what's taking, what's happening in North Korea. Uh, some of you might have signed on because of North Korea, hoping that I would talk about it earlier and have already gone off uh, because, well, maybe I wasn't getting to the topic of concern for you right away. Now, even though I have signed off for the call-in line, uh, you it is possible you can write us a question if you're listening to this live. We have uh, on YouTube, you can go on there and just write a, a comment or a question. And, and if it has to do with North Korea, I will get to it. If, it. if it doesn't, unfortunately, during this the remaining part of this podcast, I will not be able to to get to it. Now, when it comes to North Korea, we have been incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed that we have a direct line in to talk with our team inside of North Korea every single day. That has never happened before this year. This year has been a tough year, but a year of some blessings. One of those blessings is the fact that we're able to just, we're able to talk we also probably have one of the lar- longest running platforms that we've had in a while. 
Now, inside of North Korea, I can't really give you any indication about what I'm talking about when it comes to platforms, but we have platforms that provide the ability for our missionaries and Christian believers to have access to people on the ground inside of North Korea and allows them to have communication, relations, and be able to do distributions. And we're always starting new platforms and getting shut down, starting new platforms and getting shut down. Now, when I say platforms getting shut down, that doesn't mean that people are being raided or people are being arrested or anything like that. Most of the time, these platforms are secret and they're able to remain secret, but they've been shut down for one reason or another. Sometimes they get shut down in North Korea because they're too successful. Success breeds attention in North Korea. So we have to be very careful. We try to operate very small, keep our operations very small. Keep our platforms very small. Because if our platforms become too big and too noticeable, the government takes over. And when the government takes over, there's a lot of problems that kind of come along with that. But when we run small little platforms inside of North Korea, that allows us to be able to operate, maneuver in and out of the country, have engagement and relationships with everyday people, which is not easy. It's not easy to develop relationships with people inside of North Korea because the mind police are everywhere. In North Korea, what you say and even what you think can be a crime. North Koreans have to control your thoughts. So if the North Koreans that we are engaging with hear us say something that is not right in our efforts to minister to them, to engage with them. It could be that they become so scared of the state finding out. And they may even think that when we're engaging them about Jesus Christ and sharing with them the gospel, they may even think that we're a plant. They, they, they can, because the people have been so brainwashed and they have lived in fear for so long. They're scared of their own shadow. They're like beaten children, like a beaten animal that has been beaten over and over again. That just the mere shadow of you walking by causes them to hover in a corner and shake uncontrollably. The situation that North Koreans are living under right now is indescribable. Completely and absolutely indescribable. Words cannot put into thoughts what is taking place inside of North. I, I've I've written books for the last, you know, fifteen years. Written countless articles and I've tried to be someone who is a descriptive with language. When it comes to my travels inside of North Korea, language fails me. I cannot come up with the words necessary to describe in the mind's eye what it's like for North Koreans to live in that nation right now. When people talk about it's hard and I've had a hard life and my ancestors had it hard and uh, we've just never had a break and there's always been opposition against us, 
you just don't understand. Trust me, nobody knows the suffering like North Koreans. Everybody has the road of suffering to walk down. So I don't want to, I, I, anybody listening to this podcast, I don't want to minimize what you have gone through in your life. But trust me when I say North Korea is hell on earth. Absolute hell on earth. So we've been able to maintain one of the longest running platforms inside of North Korea with the current platform that we have that can be shut down at any time. It's barely hanging on by a thread. It's about to be shut down at any time, but we've already started the next platform, which is good. So we, we made a transition because we thought we were going to lose our current platform, but we haven't. And so now we have two of these kind of running in conjunction together, and we're super excited about that. And we've been able to communicate with our teams inside of North Korea every day. That has been an absolute blessing. Because one of the things that people don't realize about what's taking place inside of North Korea right now is that they are going through a famine. And it's, a, and it's only going to get worse. They're starving. We've been getting word from our teams on the ground that people have not been given their food rations for three months. Even government officials are having to go without food day after day. When government officials go without food, that's bad. And that also tells me that you can predict something coming down the road. We're probably going to see North Korea do something to intimidate the rest of the world with war. They're probably going to be threatening the rest of the world with war. The reason why is that seems to be the only way that they can get attention. Kim Jong-un's way of getting attention is very much like the kid at the store. You know who I'm talking about. That kid at the store... Maybe not in your family, maybe another family. I don't know. Maybe it is your family. That kid that's not getting his way, so they throw themselves on the floor, they kick their feet, and they begin to cry until you give them what they want. North Korea is starving. And instead, instead of just engaging the rest of the world, that's all Kim Jong-un has to do. Just open up a little bit. Like we saw China do in 1981 with Shenzhen in the Special Economic Zone. North Korea tried it on just a little bit, but it wasn't done in the right way. They tried their Special Economic Zone with China. Don't try it with China. Try it with South Korea. Now, they had the friendship, the, 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 the friendship areas and the sunshine policy, but it wasn't enough. The areas where the South Koreans were investing were huge economic booms for North Korea. No doubt about it. Why not multiply more of that? But instead, they feel they get more by threatening the safety of the entire world. So if they don't have enough food to feed their people like they have right now, they basically threaten the entire world with destru nuclear destruction. They're not the only ones. We're seeing the same things right now with the riots in the United States. I just watched a, a video of a guy that, was, that came on and basically said, if we don't get the reforms that we want, we're burning this entire system down. And the, the news anchor asked him, 
why would you do that? Why would you burn the entire system down? Why threaten with violence? And he said, we tried the peaceful way. We tried the peaceful march and it got us nowhere. What we have seen is that every time we come out and you see looting, riots, violence, people change. And yeah, he's at, he was absolutely right. I had a lot of my friends that put that video up on Facebook and they were outraged. How dare he want to tear down the entire system of the United States? And I wrote to him and I said, dude, what he said was true. When he brought about, when, or not he, but he was talking about when th- these rioters brought violence to the streets, politicians ran for the hills. And they conceded everything that they could possibly concede. They gave away things that don't even make sense for the cause. And what you see is the cities that conceded the most actually ended up suffering the most. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, Washington, D.C. Take those five cities. Those cities, they're... they're, uh, Government boards actually conceded the most to give the rioters whatever would make them happy. And they suffered the most, the most damage, the most violence, the most death, the most destruction, the most destruction of business. You don't have to take my word for it. Go on, go on and, and look at the data yourself. Those cities that conceded the most suffered the most by far, by far. Why? Because bullies love it when you concede. They only take advantage of you. If you're going to give your lunch money today, you might as well give it every day of the week because the bully's coming back. And the only way to stop him is to show strength. Punch him in the nose. Now, I'm not saying punch Kim Jong-un in the nose. I'm just saying that this is the way that bullies, and he is a bully. He is a bully that's desperate. His people are starving. I know this because our team on the ground is talking about Uh, individuals that we are connected with that haven't gotten their ration of food for months. The crops were not planted on time. There was a big fear because of the coronavirus, which means that there probably weren't, there were probably fields that were not planted. They're also, they mainly get their seeds from China. China's border has been blocked up until recently. Now there are illegal uh, transfers taking place. I know this because we're actually helping. We're not helping. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Anybody listening to this? We are not helping with the illegal transfers. We, uh, we, we know that there are illegal smuggling operations taking place across the border between China and North Korea. And we know this because we have goods that have been smuggled across. And right now, North Korea is putting up more cameras on the border to monitor the border between China and North Korea, but it behooves them to not see too much because they need a lot of of what's coming across that border. It's been blocked for a while. But right now, one of the biggest problems is cash flow. North Korea's cash flow is taking a huge hit like we haven't seen before because of the coronavirus. See, a lot of people don't know that the slave trade, you think slavery is over? I mean, you've been seeing in the news, probably everybody, doesn't matter if you're watching from Yemen or Bahrain or Paris, London, Toronto, Vancouver, or Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter where you're watching from. You're probably seeing 
the same news where statues in the United States are being torn down by protesters and rioters, right? And so you're seeing these, these statues being torn down and it's being justified because this individual that is uh, honored with this statue owned slaves, was a slave trader, endorsed slavery. As if that person's history was not evil enough. We, we're, we're fighting, we're seeing this passionate fight. Passionate! People are fighting. People are dying. I just saw a statue that was being torn down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You can go and watch this yourself on YouTube live. Not live, but it, it was recorded live. Where there was a guy that was um, in this teardown of the statue that was trying to keep people from tearing down the statue. And then a woman just goes off and starts hitting him. And he walks away. And the crowd, the mob, goes wild. And you can hear it. There was a guy that was, I think it was a guy that was holding a phone and he was recording it. And this guy, this other guy was backing up. He, he was trying to stop them from toppling this uh, statue. And he was backing up. And he was almost running backwards, and you could hear the mob say, Get him! Get him! And the guy holding the phone said, You're dead! We're going to kill you! And you saw a guy take a skateboard and just hit this guy, knock him onto the ground. So he's on the ground, and he's being surrounded by protesters. And all of a sudden, he's armed. It's Albuquerque. He was about ready to get a beatdown by a mob pulls out a handgun, shoots a guy in the stomach. Doesn't die right away, but guess what? The guy that had the phone that was saying, kill him! Literally, watch it on YouTube. You can go and you can hear him say it. He's saying, we're going to kill you or he's going to kill you. Either way. But he's like, kill him! He's going to kill you or we're going to kill you. Something like that. You can watch it yourself. Albuquerque, you can type it in. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, it's on Live Leaks as well. And the mob is chasing this guy. They get him on the ground. He gets hit in the face, just bashed in the face by a skateboard. And they're kicking him. They're punching him while he's going on the ground. And he's about ready to receive a, a beatdown that he may not survive. So in uh, self-protection mode, he pulls out a handgun. He's on the ground. And he shoots the aggressor in the stomach. That aggressor goes rolling back. And, and you can hear the guy that has the phone that is recording the whole incident goes, Ah! And screaming, it's like, run! Like, you can hear the octaves change crazy because this guy obviously wasn't prepared for the victim to not be a victim that day. It Will he go through a trial? Will he be put in jail because he, he killed somebody? I don't know. But I've heard many Marines say, and I'm with my Marine brothers, I'd rather be tried by a jury of six than carried by a group of I'm sorry, I'd rather be tried by a jury of 12 than carried by a group of six. So he's, he, he, he may go to jail for what he did. I don't know. But he's, he lives to see another day. Anyway, that statue was being tore da torn down, or they wanted it to be torn down because of what it re what it, its relationship to enslaving indigenous people and slavery in history. But I wonder if those protesters know 
that slavery hasn't ended. I wonder if those protesters would show as much compassion. I'm, I, I stand with them in, I don't want to destroy history. I want the history, I want the evilness of history to remind us what we are capable of when we walk away from God. When, what we are capable of doing to one another. I think history is absolutely important for us to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think it's important to understand how evil we can be towards one another. Because slavery being one of the most evil institutions is something that almost every culture participated in. And a lot of us have a lot of reflections to do and that history can help us remember how we failed, how our forefathers failed, and how we need God every single day to keep from being as evil as, and we're all one step away from being that evil. You think Hitler is a part of history that you wouldn't have joined in with? We are all one step away from being capable of standing by, if not in participating with the Third Reich. You might think that, no, 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 you're too good. But percentage-wise, the percentage of Germany that resisted the Third Reich was so small. The percentage of churches that resisted Hitler was pathetic. Why do you think Bonhoeffer is so well known? I, my wife uh, has a has a um, uh, a, a special uh, file on her phone from when my youngest son was a little boy and he got in trouble for lying. He lied to me, and I made him read about Bonhoeffer and write a uh, essay for me on. Um, standing for truth in the face of a society that goes against you instead of lying and making things easier on your life telling the truth which can sometimes be difficult make your life more difficult did for Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer would have had a much longer expiration date had he just went with the flow there were so few I I can't tell you that I, I, I would like to say that I would be among those that would have resisted the Third Reich. That's easy for me to say on Monday morning quarterbacking. That's easy for me to say in hindsight 2020. It's easy for me to say when the whole world thinks that Nazis are evil. It's convenient. But percentage-wise... The number of people inside of Germany that resisted the Third Reich were very small. Shoot. Most Americans actually thought that what Hitler was doing was pretty cool before we went to war. In the 1930s, there were so many positive... I think, I think Hitler was even on front of Time magazine. They were praising him. You can look that up. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure that he was on the front of Time magazine, Hitler. Let me look that up before I go any further. But there was a there there was a fascination with him, with people in the West, especially in America, that thought what what he was doing was great. 
1938, Adolf Hitler was Time Magazine's Man of the Year. 1938. But it wasn't just Time Magazine. There were so many people that were right. Why? Because he was doing a lot of things that people liked, that they agreed with. So it wasn't just the Germans. That those, it wasn't just the Nazis, that the, the National Socialists that supported him. The reason I say that is this. There were only 11 disciples that were, well, I mean, you could actually say 10 disciples that were even less than that, (laughs) that were with Jesus when he was being crucified. One of them betrayed him. And one of them lied that he didn't even know him. So the percentage of people that stayed with Christ during the hard times are pretty few. Do you think that I honestly would be one of those people? I would like to think so. But I don't. Percentage-wise, probably not. One of the darkest verses in the Bible is John chapter 6, verse 66. It's the only time in the New Testament that we see the verse 666. When you ask people how many disciples did Jesus had, most people say 12, and that is true, but that's how many he was left with. Not how many he had. He had thousands of people that followed him and would consider themselves his disciple. And then they followed him out, and then he started talking about his blood and start talking about, you know, the falling of the temple and all of a sudden eating his flesh. And it was like, dude, who, what are you talking about? His words were offensive. His words were offensive and because they were offensive and the people were offended, they left him. Those disciples, poof, gone, walked away. And then Jesus didn't say, wait, 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 guys, you misunderstood me. Come back. I'll give you the whole story. He didn't say, hey, guys, come back Saturday morning um, podcast. You get a free book if you you stay here. Jesus' marketing strategy to get more followers, in my opinion, sucked. He did the opposite of what you're supposed to do to market to people. The people got offended and they left and Jesus didn't try to stop them. Not that we're told in the Bible. And in fact, the only ones left, his disciples, the ones that we call his disciples now, the only ones left were standing there and Jesus' response to them was, are you not going to leave as well? And I, I love what they say. Where are we going to go? Jesus, you're all we have. You're all we have left. I so want to be, I desperately want to be in that same place. Jesus, where am I going to go? You are all I have left. So when we, when we look at history, history tells us how evil we are capable of being to one another. And it's important that you don't always see yourself as the, as the good guy. I know it's very easy to think of ourselves as the, the, the Bonhoeffers of the world, the Winston Churchills of the world that stood up to tyranny and fought back against Hitler. But maybe you're a part of the bigger percent. Maybe, maybe I'm a part of the bigger percent that would fall in line with evil and justify it 
by pointing to the good, falling into a trap that enslaves millions and kills even more. I'm capable of that evil. We are all capable of that evil. And without history, we forget just how decrepit man's heart really is. Because that passion that we see against these statues that represent history, my, my desire, my, my prayer, my wish is to see that same passion towards modern day slavery that is taking place right now. I can tell you stories of slaves that are being sold into slavery in Sudan. They're not getting front page of the local news. I've come face to face with modern day slaves in North Korea. Most people don't know. Now I'm going to, now for those of you that lasted this long, there's a treat. For those of you that have lasted so far, Basically, I want to share with you modern-day slavery that is taking place inside of North Korea. By some estimates, one out of every ten citizens in North Korea, more than one out of every ten, are slaves. There was a, there's a report that you can go to. It's called globalslaveryindex.org. Global slaveryindex.org where they estimate they came out with a report that they estimate that at least 2.6 million slaves are in North Korea today uh, are modern slaves modern day slaves inside of North Korea that they bring in an estimated 354 billion dollars for the North Korean government now how does this slavery work let me tell you about two different parts of the slavery, okay? Slavery is, is broken up, in, in North Korea, slavery is broken up into two different segments. You have the death slavery, the slavery that leads to death, and the slavery that can lead to life. One slavery is just work you until you have no value and then you die. And the other slavery is almost like an indentured servant type of program. And I know a little bit about indentured servantry because that's how my family immigrated to the United States. My family came over um, in the second Germana. Uh, they were Waldisians. They, um, there is a part of my family that were Waldisians and they came from Germany and they set up the second Germana in the United States. You can look up their history. Actually, there were 19 families that came over um, on a ship that was the ship. The, the guy that was running the ship owed money in London. His ship, while he, after he picked up the 19 passengers, uh, or, sorry, 19 families um, that were going from Germany to the United States to minister to become missionaries to the American Indians. Uh, they, uh, their ship was stopped by the Royal Navy. They were taken in because the ship captain owed money. He spent six months in prison. Um, the 19 families, including my family, 
uh, had to survive in the expensive city of London, and they only had the money that they brought with them on ship. They used that money during that six months after the captain of the ship got out. He then took the 19 families to the United States, upon which my family was not able to pay for their passage to the United States, so they had to serve seven years um, as indentured servants uh, for this organization that ran the ships. And they lost family members, actually, on the ship passage because of disease um, and sickness while sailing to America. And so they were indigenous servants and they were able to work for free for seven years to earn their freedom. And that's a little bit, not exactly, but I'm just, the reason I call it indentured servitude is because of that exposure. And so one of the things that we see with the North Korean slave trade is that there's two parts of it. One side leads to death and one side can potentially lead to life. Both of these sides of electricity or electricity, both of these sides of slavery are run by the what we call Room 39. Now, if you've never heard of Room 39, look it up. Room 39 is an office on the third floor in Pyongyang in a, one of the most strategic office buildings in Pyongyang. And in Office 39, what you have is, a, is an area um, that runs the cash flow business of North Korea. Now, <clears throat> there... They are also involved in management of other things. If you have never heard of Room 39, it's on the third floor of this government building. It's actually in the Room 39. It's the largest of all the rooms that are on the third floor. And the third floor is the most secure floor in all of North Korea. It is the most secure area in all of uh, North Korea. Um. This is, the, this is the area that is tasked with bringing in money, and they do that by making the super $100 bills. If you've never heard of those, you can look this up online. The, um, <clears throat> the super $100 bills are made by North Korea, and they're almost indistinguishable from real $100 bills. Uh, North Korea brings in a lot of the funding into their co country by this counterfeit. So they actually have... Um, real machinery from like the U.S. machinery to be able to make fake one. It's why they're called super $100 bills because they're pretty close. Um, meth. They're a big dealer in methamphetamines. They, they, uh, North Korean government is, is a drug dealing government. Now, there are certain drugs that grow naturally in North Korea. Um, we have a location, for instance, where we've secured property in North Korea, and that property is full of uh, marijuana leaves. I mean, over your head marijuana, thick as, as thick as can be. To be able to walk across, through this property that we have, you have to, you have to literally push your way through uh, marijuana leaves. Marijuana grows wild everywhere in that region. It's a, and so the drug trade, meth, this is a this is a big market for the room 39 to bring in funding. Um, you have <clears throat> uh, 
Viagra, <laughs> believe it or not. They, they bring in a lot of, a lot of Viagra, uh, a, a ship out a lot of fake Viagra. They also, textiles. There's a lot of things that are made inside of North Korea that are <clears throat> um, marked as being made in China. So this is one of the things that um, the North Koreans do a lot of. They do heroin, methamphetamine, opium, uh, textiles from China. When you say when you see that they're that they're bought from China, uh, or it says made in China, oftentimes it's actually not made in China. It's made in North Korea with the labeling on there that says made in China. Uh, this is where they finance a lot of their government and nuclear programs. Room thirty nine. Now you have room thirty eight. Room 38 handles all the funds of the Kim family. That's the front organization. Um, you have other rooms that are there as well on the on the 30th on the third floor. Uh, you have the intel room. All of the secret intelligence that takes place takes place there on the third floor as well. Room 37. Uh, these are these are all on the third floor, and they're they room 39 runs the labor camps because that's where the money's made. So there's textiles that are made inside of North Korea that they have labels on them that say made in China, but they're actually made in North Korea. Some of those, not all of those, are made in labor camps. Now, right now, there's about 150,000 to 200,000 estimated prisoners in labor camps in North Korea. These labor camps are inhumane. They're unhuman. They're not fit for animals. This, I'm not talking about bad facilities in Los Angeles. I'm not talking about unacceptable conditions in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about the, I, I, for me, I would rather be dead than spend a day in one of these locations. These labor camps are death camps where the North Korean government works you with the, the exact minimal amount of food needed in order to sustain your body and so that they can get more out of you than they put into you. Once you tip that scale where they're putting more food into your body or more an investment into your body than what you put out, you're gone. You're dead. And it's not just the labor camp prisoners. It's also their families. You see, once you get rid of God in your society, as you have in communism, then you no longer believe that all men are created equal. You now accept the scientific idea that all men are evolutional creatures. And if we are evolutional creatures, it is possible to believe like the Third Reich believed, that we all evolved at different rates. We didn't evolve at the same rates. Couldn't. Different environments, different um, things around you, different, different challenges create different evolutions. So someone who developed for thousands of years on an island in the Philippines is going to develop completely different from someone who is thousands of years developing in northern Scandinavia. That's evolution. If you believe that we are created by God, our Father, then you believe that we are all created equal. That God created both man and animals and the world that we live in. 
If you do not believe that, believe that we all are a, a result of evolution, then you have to agree with Marxism and communism. And what they believe in communism as it is enforced in North Korea is that if you are a criminal and you have anti-revolutional tendencies, then it can be expected that it is also in your genetics. It has been passed through your bloodline. So if you have been arrested for some sort of anti-revolutionary activity, the North Koreans also arrest your family, your children, your parents, your grandchildren, your grandparents, up to three generations. Because they need to make sure they get the entire seed. Because you've evolved into the piece of crap anti-revolutionary that you are. So in the re-education camps, it's not just the prisoners. It's also their families that are there. And they're also forced to work. Now, sometimes there are textiles that are made in these labor camps that, are, that have the Made in China label that will go on those and then be sent through China into whatever buyer market there is. However, those are the easy jobs. The hard jobs are mining. Mining for coal. Because most of the city or most of the country runs off of coal. Mining for elements. It's death. It's a living death. The people are so numb to death that they walk around like zombies. That's one side. So one side of the slavery inside of North Korea that is taking place today is happening in these re-education labor camps. Outside of these re-education labor camps, there is another type of slavery that, like I said, is almost like an indentured servant type of program where people actually volunteer for this type of slavery because it's better than life inside of North Korea. What it is is that the North Koreans provide job opportunities for North Koreans to go abroad and work in these job opportunities, but they don't get paid. Or if they do, it's just like enough to survive. And so the North Koreans leave, but they don't leave alone. They have a minder. And a minder is someone who watches over them over like a, a, a U.S. marshal would look over prisoners. Um, or a prison warden would look over uh, a transportation of prisoners. So these these... North Koreans leave, but they have a minder that goes with them, overlooks them, and monitors everything that they do. They are responsible for them. And it's, I say he because it's usually a he. And so what they do is they take a group of North Koreans and then they go into other countries and they do certain jobs. Russia and China are two big areas for this forced labor. So a lot of people go into, North, uh, go into Russia from North Korea and they do like forestry work or mining in Russia. And Russia is so big. It's a massive country. So they can go and they can do this type of work and not have any contact with anybody else. And they have a minder that looks over them. So they all live together. They all sleep together. They all eat together. They never have contact with people outside of their North Korean minder. They come in, they do their work, and the Russian government doesn't pay the workers. The Russian government pays the company and the company is set up by Room 39. Room 39 being this, this um, 
room on the third floor in Pyongyang that arranges all of the administration needed for the cash flow from these workers and their the, the efforts and the fruit of their labor to be funneled back into the government of North Korea. This is how North Korea is surviving. This is how North Korea is bringing in money. In China, they work in factories. You think this is conspiracy theory? This isn't inside information. You can go and look this up. This is stuff that you can read about from people that know what they're talking about. And I can tell you directly. I've come face to face with these guys. I've been in Shanghai. I've I've been in um, Phnom Penh. And I've gone to Pyongyang restaurants. The name of the restaurant is called Pyongyang. It was owned by a company called Handangwa. Handangwa is a company that is run out of room 39. And what Handangwa does is they go out into different countries, even in Europe, and then they start restaurants that are completely run by North Koreans. And they give you this North Korean experience. I can remember the one that I went to in Shanghai. I walked in, neon lights on the wall, dancing, music. It's a, it's a mix between KTV, which is like a, a kind of a, a, a sing-along uh, karaoke bar. So it's a mix between KTV and a restaurant. And you go in and you get this amazing service and it feels like a theme restaurant. And it is a theme restaurant. The theme is North Korea. And the food's not that great, to be honest with you. It's very fancy. I'm not a big person on fancy food. Love North Korean food, not the fancy stuff. Fancy stuff gets a little bit weird, really strong fishy taste for me. A little bit too much, you know, seaweed in your in your flavoring there. But um, you start to meet with the people, and all of the exchanges and interactions are fake, surface level, mechanical robotic i'm i'm talking with them they're talking with me but we're not really exchanging information they're entertaining me and i'm paying them to do so and that money doesn't go to them it goes to their government and the government benefits benefited from that meal that i had Now, the one that started in Holland was shut down because the owner, the, the, the co-owner, the uh, Dutch partner, quickly understood that, and you can look this up as well, that uh, Hei Dungwa started a restaurant in Amsterdam, and the Dutch partner quickly understood that these guys aren't getting paid. We're bringing in money to the restaurant but the money is going straight to the government. So the Dutch partners walked away. And so there was a Korean partner in the Netherlands that is trying to help them get started again. But these, these um, people are sent outside of the country. And many of them, they work seven days a week, 12, 16 hours a day, no pay, and they're happy to do it. Why? Because it gets them out of God-forsaken North Korea. That's how bad it is. They would rather work all day in another country with no pay than to be in their own homeland. And North Korea is making out like 
bandits taking money hand over fist from these themed restaurants. The problem has been the coronavirus. You see, since the coronavirus has started, most people have stopped going out to eat. And because they've stopped going out to eat, the themed restaurants are no longer being uh, visited by Chinese patrons. Now, of course, the, they, start, they, they have started to do, many of these Pyongyang restaurants have started to do takeout. But the truth is their food was never really that good. So people didn't really eat there because they liked the food. They ate there because they liked the environment. So without the environment, the food no longer has a draw. So people aren't being drawn in to buy from them. And so these restaurants are being shut down. These workers are being sent back home and North Korea no longer has this money. And this is multiplying their pain. I've come face to face with these guys. If you've stayed on this long, I'm going to give you a treat. I'm going to share information that I don't think I've shared before about North Korea. I was, I, was, I was working in North Korea, I won't tell you where or when, but I was approached to start a fertilizer factory. And so I started working together with the North Korean government to start a fertilizer factory. And I'd been to North Korea several times, I'd met with the leaders, and we sat down and we were talking about this idea of fertilizer, and I was, I was very naive on my approach. Because in order to do this fertilizer factory, what I was looking at was using topsoil and moss and manure. And the manure would look great because we had a farm that wasn't too far from us that we would be able to collect what was needed. And there were some things that we would need to be brought in from China. But then this fertilizer factory that we were being asked to start inside of North Korea and we were giving we we were we were sharing all of the information you know about how we could start it and there was one guy he was very odd and so I think he was a high up was he from room 39 I don't think so but maybe connected I don't know I think so and let me tell you why because what they wanted us to do is basically bring in ingredients needed for fertilizer from Russia. And I had the ability to do it. But I talked with a guy from the Intel community who said, you need to shut that down. Those ingredients can be used to make bombs. The same kind of bombs, and he started explaining it to me, and so we did. We walked away from that project. And that same person began to work with me on another project where we would start a repair shop for boats. And as we started to go into the details of that business, it very quickly occurred to me that the people that would be working at that business were not getting paid anything. There'd be boat repairs taking place people being charged for those boat repairs in a fishing village. And then nobody there actually getting paid. The money would all go to the government 100%. So 
we tried to walk away from that, but it, there there was a there was desperation, and then we realized that the boats that we would also be working on were not just fisher boat fishing boats that we could charge, but they wanted to bring in military boats that we couldn't charge. So we would have we would have an obligation to work on them for free. Run from room thirty nine. I don't know. But I've seen this North Korean slavery from different angles. I've, I've written a book called Smuggling Light from one of the, a very special person that I've worked together with for years inside of North Korea. She gives information about what it's like to start businesses and work together with North Koreans inside of North Korea. And one of the things that she points out is that while she was in prison, she, because she was arrested and she was thrown in prison, she shares about the, the total control that they have over you, the torture, the pain that you go through on a regular basis. How she survived. She's one of the toughest people I know. People. Not just women. People. She's one of the toughest people I know. I, I even say that if, they, if the North Koreans had done to me what they did to, to her, and I'm a former U.S. Marine, if they had done to me what they did to her, I'd have been singing like a bird. What do you want to know? I'll tell you. I'll type it up. I'll type it up and seal it. Slavery has been taking place inside of North Korea for generations and the world doesn't take notice. But I don't expect them to. As Christians, I believe that it is our duty to remember them, pray for them, and stand beside them. Today we have brothers and sisters inside of North Korea that are being forced into production. They are slaves. Modern day Slaves. They're working for food and live in a prison. Slavery. They're beat until they work. They beat, they're beat if they don't work. Their families are beat if they don't work. Their families are killed if they don't work. They need your prayers. They need your support. Now, there are ways that you can support Back to Jerusalem as we work inside of North Korea, but I'm, I, I'm not going to bring them up. You can search them yourself if you want to see. And if you want to help inside of North Korea, it's not even necessary that you go through Back to Jerusalem. There are many other organizations out there that do amazing work and serve the church inside of, Vietnam, inside of North Korea. I encourage you to look them up, stand beside them, and support them. Don't just pray for the church in North Korea. They need your help now, today. Would you consider being a partner with the people inside of North Korea, providing Bibles, providing food, providing the gospel? There are groups out there that are working inside of North Korea on the ground. And if you search deep enough, you'll find amazing organizations. We have to do something as a church.
as a Bible study, would you be willing to adopt North Korea as a country and donate so much per month to get the gospel? I would encourage you to even look at taking a trip to North Korea. You can contact us about that. If you would like to take a trip to North Korea, we don't have any plan for this year. We'll not be going to North Korea this year. But if you would like to join us on a trip, you can write to us at office at backtojerusalem.com. We can share information. But North Korea needs your help. Somebody just wrote Bernard and said, how can we help? How can I help? I would encourage you, Bernard, to go online, look for organizations that are working inside of North Korea, and support them. Support their efforts. Because North Korea needs the food. They need the gospel. They need Bibles. They need missions training. And there are several organizations out there that do that. And I would encourage you today to pray about supporting them. You can support Back to Jerusalem as well. We do work in North Korea. We do supply Bibles. We do support workers. The best way to do that is to become a gatekeeper. The, the, if you become a gatekeeper, you, you become a m- monthly donor. And we use those funds, not all of those funds. We use those funds partly to put together devices that we use inside of North Korea. So, for instance, the money that we have raised through gatekeepers, we have been able to develop the hologram Bible, produce the hologram Bible, and send it into North Korea. We're developing a new kind of Bible right now that is supported by the funding that is coming in from our gatekeepers. And then we use that to send the gospel into North Korea. We take in Bibles. We start up platforms. Now, again, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I can't tell you, I can't give you details about those those platforms, but I'm in daily contact with our platforms and it is exciting. We also have a North Korea section on our website. So you can go to Back to Jerusalem, you can click the support button and then look for the projects as we do them inside of North Korea. Whenever there's a disaster inside of North Korea, we're usually there to help. We have people on the ground. We are on the ground in North Korea. We, are, we see the people. We see the faces. We cross the border. We're in the location working with the people. So we're not just an organization that hopes that we get something in. We do it. And we also facilitate other organizations. That's why I would encourage you to not just look at Back to Jerusalem, but look at other organizations as well. And see how you can partner together with them to help the people inside of North Korea. I want to thank you for sticking with us for this marathon of a Sunday, Saturday morning mediocre live podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.